this is darkness. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with the electricity. We have uh, done this on purpose. Because even before mankind appeared on the scene, in the beginning there was darkness. The Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 in this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the midst of the darkness and the chaos and the confusion of creating the world and all that's within it, God's Spirit was hovering over the waters. <laughs> God was there. Now, there is a principle there for us, and that is this. Some of you today are in the midst of confusion or chaos or some kind of darkness in your life. And I want you to know without any doubts at all that God is here. God is in the midst of your darkness, and he's here to bring light into your darkness. Normally, we don't like physical darkness. We can't see anything when it's this dark. And if we were to move around, it's likely that we would bump into something. And sometimes it even gives us um, an understanding of loneliness or maybe isolation or even in, in extreme times, maybe we feel fearful because of the dark. We don't normally embrace darkness unless we're going to sleep. We usually try to get out of darkness and find some light. Most of you know Tom Schill. Tom is part of our worship team. When Tom was born, he weighed two pounds and eight ounces. He spent the first ten weeks of his life in an incubator. And as a result of that, he went blind. And he's been blind ever since. This is Tom's world. Every day, this is what he sees. I interviewed Tom earlier this week, and he said this to me. He said, I draw my inspiration from the story in John chapter 9 where Jesus and his disciples meet up with a blind man. And the disciples said, ah, who, who, uh, who sinned? Was it this guy or was his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered them and said, Neither, but this was so that the glory of God could be displayed in his life. And Tom said, <laughs> that's my goal, that even though that I am blind, I want the glory of God to be revealed through my life. I've known Tom for nearly 30 years, and one thing I know about him is he has never used his physical darkness to impede his ability to live a significant and meaningful and purposeful life. Among those who are blind, the unemployment rate is almost 70%. But Tom got a college education, has been gainfully employed uh, all through his years of working. And when I interviewed him earlier this week, I said, Tom, what's your real passion other than music? And he said, it's uh, middle schoolers. And after I picked myself up off the floor, <laughs> I said, well, why would you say that, Tom? And he says, I love to be around middle schoolers because 
when they see what I can do, and he does everything, even though I'm blind, I can say to them, look, if I can do this and I'm blind, just think of what you can do with your life because you have eyes. So thanks, Tom, for bringing glory to the Lord this morning. Appreciate it. Well, we continue with our series today about worth fighting for, and today we're going to talk about how do we bring light into darkness. We know there are many areas of darkness in our life. We have talked about just one a moment ago when we talked about the physical darkness that we experienced and that Tom experiences each day. But there's many more areas of darkness that could afflict us. Sometimes it could be an addiction of some kind. And when one gets involved in an addiction and it begins to come into your life, it begins to bring a series of doom and despair into your life. It could be loneliness and you might feel like, I don't have any friends. Nobody really cares about me. And it causes a pale over your life. It could be negative emotions, things like anger or greed or lust or jealousy. And they just simply have overcome you to the point where that's all you can think about. And that just basically rules your life. Or it could be something like death and disease. On March the 4th in 1918, a cook by the name of Albert Fitchell was on an army base in Kansas. He became ill one day. Remember I said that he was a cook. He became ill one day and he went home and within just a... A few short hours, most of the people began to get sick, and within a couple of days, nearly everyone on the entire army base was ill. And by the end of April, not just the army base, but that particular illness had spread throughout Kansas and throughout the entire Midwest. That was, at least some people believe, the beginning of what was called the Spanish flu. The Spanish flu between 1918, March of 1918, and 1920 began to spread and became a pandemic all over the world. As a matter of fact, it killed, this is an unbelievable statistic, the Spanish flu killed somewhere between 50 and 100 million people. Approximately 3 to 5% of the population of the world died from the Spanish flu. In the United States, 25% of the people of the United States became afflicted with it And 675,000 people died from the Spanish flu here in America. Now, to put that into perspective, in World War II, a tragic war that cost many lives of many of our family members and friends and Americans, we lost 400,000 soldiers. That means that the Spanish flu technically killed more people than World War II in, excuse me, in America. And as this flu began to spread around the world, and it literally encompassed almost every nation in the world, panic began to set in, and people didn't know what to do. And so they were refusing to go outside. They refused to go to work. Crime spiked way high. There was all kinds of issues that began to develop. Some people said, we're going to die, so they just threw off all moral restraints, and they just simply did what they uh, wanted to do. And it left a cluster of tombstones across nearly every graveyard around the world. The truth is, they didn't know how to get rid of it. They were in diseased darkness. 
As bad as this pandemic was, there is one that's even worse than that, and that is this, the pandemic of darkness and spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness is simply living one's life as if Jesus doesn't exist. To live one's life however you want to, with whatever moral restraints that happen to come into your life, but really not paying any attention to Jesus or to what he is going to do or what his commands or what, what you should do in following him. This is the Christmas season, and during the Christmas season, we celebrate, naturally, the birth of Christ. We've sung about it already. We've got some more services coming up where we're going to emphasize that. And as we go back, one of the scriptures that we normally read during this time of year is from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophetic chapter. It talks about the coming Messiah as if he is already here. Unto us a child is born, and you're familiar with those verses. But Isaiah chapter 9 begins like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, this is prophetic. It has not happened yet. But hundreds of years later, that light would come into the world. And we know from the Gospels in Matthew and we know from Luke that when Jesus came into the world, he was called the light of the world. And we know that when he came in, there was a lot of confusion about who is this guy? Nobody speaks like this. Nobody does the stuff that he's doing. Why did he come here anyway? What is the story behind him? And so as we look at the Gospels in chapter 3 of John, a chapter that you're very familiar with, John gives us the answer as to how this light of the world came into other darkness and what he means to each and every one of us. And this is what John says. The verse that practically everyone in here could quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John gives us the reason why this Jesus was born in Bethlehem. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Now, when you see the word verdict, it comes from a courtroom word. And what it means is, okay, we've heard all of the testimony that we need to hear. We've heard all of the things that are around this case. We've heard all of the people that have shared what their stories are. We've heard all of the evidence. Here's the answer. Here's the verdict. Here's the reason why the light came into the world. And this is what he says. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light. Isn't that interesting? We don't like physical darkness, but we love spiritual darkness. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. They don't want to come into the light. They want to stay in the darkness and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in a different location, different town, 
We took a mission trip down to the country of Guatemala, and we were down there uh, on quite often. And the local leader there, or the national leader in Guatemala of that particular denomination, was a guy by the name of Isai Calderon. And Isai and I would go around, and there was about 110 churches, and we didn't visit them all, obviously, but we would go around and speaking at the various churches and bringing messages and gospel of peace and things of that nature. And he received a phone call from a village that said, Isai, we would like for you and the American to come and to speak to us, for we're going to have a great celebration. What are you going to celebrate? We are going to celebrate the fact that electricity, light, is coming to our village for the very first time ever. I'm telling you folks, this was a remote village. <laughs> and so we got in the car, went on the paved road, then we went off onto the gravel road, then we went off onto the dirt road, then we went off onto the cow path, and we finally got to the top of the mountain where this village was located. We were so far up in the boondocks that the people didn't even speak Spanish. And so when I spoke that day, I spoke in English. Isai translated it from English to Spanish. And then the local pastor translated it from Spanish into Kachikau, which was the local dialect. And so we got out of the car, and the people had gathered around. And uh, they were so excited in celebration and so forth. And when they saw me get out of the car, the little kids started running up, and they started pointing at me, which is not unusual, but, you know, a little bit. And they were pointing at my head, and they were saying, Roho, Roho, Roho. I said, Isai, hey, what, what are they saying? He said, they've never seen an American before with red hair. I had red hair at that time, by the way. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I was born bald. Then I got hair. Now I'm bald again. So, but there was a time when I had hair, and I had red hair. It was real bright red hair. And so they thought my head was on fire. They kept saying, rojo, rojo, you know. <laughs> And so we established uh, this big, huge tent, and all the people came. And they, this was back several years ago, back when they had, uh, Eric, you probably remember those huge, big speakers that we used to have. And they set them up. Of course, they had no idea exactly how to uh, use them. They'd never seen them before. They'd never done them before. And so Isai and I and a couple more were sitting in the front there. And they saw the dial, and it was 1 through 10. So they figured, 10 is the magic number, right? over to 10. So the music and the loud came on, and I thought Gabriel had showed up. And I was looking up to heaven thinking, this must be it. We're getting ready to go. It was so loud, it literally almost burst us. So what do you think I preached on that day? John chapter 8 and verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, what I spoke that particular day to a remote village of Guatemalan Indians who didn't even speak English or Spanish was the same message that I would speak to a congregation of an urban society in the town of Clearwater. Jesus is the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the life of light. Well, once we come into the light with God, what do we do now? So to move from our darkness, Jesus says that when we come to him, we move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So now, what do we do? How do we live now that we have come out of the darkness of spiritual darkness into spiritual light through Jesus? 
Well, the book of Ephesians talks about that somewhat. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he talks about coming out of the light, of finding who Christ is, of accepting him as your Savior, of coming to know him. And then in chapter 6, he changes the strategy a little bit, and he starts talking to Christians. And he says, now that you are a believer, this is how you should live. These are basic training exercises for spiritual warfare for those of us who are believers in Christ. And this is what he says, beginning at... Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally. So in other words, he's wrapping up all the things that he's said in the previous two chapters. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If we are going to conquer the wiles of Satan, if we're going to conquer the accusations that he brings against us, we have to stand in the Lord, not in our own power. Every time I come onto this pulpit or any other pulpit, I always pray when I come out here, Lord, there is no way I can do this. I need to go in your power, not mine. Otherwise, I will surely fail. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. He says, stand against these things which are going to come against you. When we stand for something, that means that we have a set of values and systems that we are willing to defend. And then he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Know your enemy. The enemy is not the person next door. The enemy is not the guy who cut you off in traffic coming to church here this morning. The enemy is not your boss who failed to give you that raise. The enemy is not even that person who may have spoke against you or gossiped against you. Those are simply reflections of the real enemy. Our struggle, we wrestle. The word for wrestle there is that Greek word which talks about hand-to-hand combat. It is a struggle. We struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So what are we supposed to do? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. And then he stands, he gives us seven weapons that we have, not physical weapons, but spiritual weapons. Perhaps he is looking around and he is seeing the soldiers there and he's noticing all of the armor that they have on. And so he is saying to themselves, we have armor too that we can defend against the enemy, but it's not physical armor, it's spiritual armor. And this is what he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So he gives us some advice. If we are going to stand up against Satan, if we are going to stand up against his lies and his accusations, what do we have to do? We have to be strong in the Lord. We have to recognize that he is the one who gives us the strength 
to repel the acts of Satan. We have to stand firm with the truth, and then we have to recognize and know the enemy. Part of the reason that the uh, Spanish flu became a pandemic instead of just a localized thing is they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what to do with it. They had no understanding of what caused it. They thought it was bacteria rather than virus. And therefore, they were treating it wrongly. They didn't know what it... They thought that possibly it was the Black Plague that had reappeared from the Middle Ages. Some of them thought it was cholera. Some of them thought it was some other things. And even if they had known, we know that at this time, they didn't have the weapons to fight against it. They didn't have the modern medicines that we have today. They didn't have antibiotics like we have today and some of the vaccines and some of the things that we do. And therefore, the pandemic continued to spread because they didn't know what the enemy was. They didn't know what the disease was. And they tried all kinds of stuff to stop it. And some of them are quite funny. One of the things that they did was had what they call black weddings. And they would said, we're going to find two people that are willing to get married in a graveyard. Can you believe this? And so if they get married in this graveyard, that should stop the epidemic. Well, it didn't quite work that way. So anyway, they couldn't figure it out. They didn't know the enemy. So we have to know the enemy, and the enemy is Satan. So here are the seven spiritual weapons that he gives us from Ephesians chapter 6. The first is the belt of truth. Now we have to recognize that Satan is our enemy. How does Satan come against us? What does he do? Well, we know that he is a liar. The Bible says not only is he a liar, he is the father of lies. And therefore, he tries to deceive us, he tries to defraud us, he tries to do anything he can to help us to doubt the spiritual lives that we have. He tries to sow doubt in every spiritual area of our life. And therefore, we must come against him. We come against him with the belt of truth. Because Satan would have you to doubt God's truth. Satan doesn't want you to believe anything that God says. Going back to the Garden of Eden, what is the first thing that Satan said to Eve? Did God really tell you not to eat of that tree? Come on now. It's not going to hurt you. Do you know what Satan says to us today? You really believe the Bible? Come on now. It's a bunch of myths. You know, it's got a bunch of contradictions in it. You know, that was long ago. It has no relevance today. You don't really believe that, do you? How do we come against and stand against that? We put the belt of truth around us, and the belt of truth is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted, what did he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. In Roman times, the belt of truth was put around their waist, and they would wear robes, not clothing like that we would wear today. And they would hike up their robes and sense this belt around them, and it would enable them the ability to move around freely. And on that belt would have all of the various weapons that they could use in the battle. So when we put the belt of truth around us, the belt of truth encompasses all of the spiritual values that we believe. And then he says, we have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why do we need to do that? Because Satan would have you doubt your worthiness. You know what Satan says to us? You aren't worth anything. You're a sorry guy. 
Do you know who you are? Do you know what you've done? Do you know what kind of thoughts you had? You're not a, you're not a believer. You're not a Christian guy. Why, you, you shouldn't be doing that. Satan comes against us with that. Now, we also know the Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of us has righteousness of our own, so we have to put on righteousness. The righteousness that we put on is because when we come out of darkness into the light, Jesus said, I will put my righteousness in you so that you will be able to stand firm and know the enemy of your, of, uh, that is coming against you. Then we put on the shoes of peace. Now, the shoes of peace, shoes enable us to go places. And Satan wants you to doubt your witness. He wants you to say, you have no witness. Come on now. You have no right to share the gospel with anybody. You have no right to tell these people about these things. But the shoes of peace enable us to move, enable us to walk. And you know what we carry with us? We carry with us the gospel of peace. In Romans it says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You and I have the distinct and unique and wonderful privilege that we bring the gospel of peace wherever our shoes take us. Whether it's into the workplace, whether it's at school, whether it's in the hobbies that we enjoy, whether it is in the social circles in which you have, you bring with you the gospel of peace. We all have a witness. We may not be able to all speak like Pastor Kurt does and share in that way, but we have a life that exemplifies just as Tom was saying earlier today. He wants his life to glorify God in the way that he lives his life day by day. Then it says that we take up the shield of faith. Why do we need a shield of faith? Because Satan says to us, I want you to doubt God. The soldiers of this time would have a large rectangular wooden shield, and it would be basically from the, from the knees all the way up to under the chin. And it would be wood, and around the wood would be uh, a skin of an animal of some kind. Because the enemy would fire arrows at them, but not just arrows. They would put pitch around the front of the arrow, they would light it on fire, and they would fire it toward the enemies. And he says, when you have that shield, it deflects the arrows of the enemy coming towards you. What do we have as our shield? We have faith. Faith is the essence of the Christian life. We are saved by faith, and we live by faith. As a matter of fact, it says in, in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we have the shield of faith that protects us from the lies, from the accusations, from all of the assaults of Satan and the forces of darkness in high places. We feel them off because of the shield of faith. Then he says we have the helmet of salvation. Another thing that Satan does not want you to know is that you're a believer. He wants you to doubt your Christianity. This is not so much for those of us who are veteran Christians, who have been Christians for a long period of time, but especially when you first come to know Christ, one of the very first things that Satan will say to you is this, nothing happened. It was just an emotional moment. Nothing has changed in your life. Are you really a believer? Come on now. You know that you're not. Satan says, you know you can't do that. 
Now, I, I make this next statement with the fear that maybe I'll get fired after I say it, but, you know, I had a job before this. Uh, there, there are days I don't really feel close to God. You know why? Because Satan doesn't want me to feel close to God. But here's the thing. I don't live by my feelings. I live by my faith. Feelings are fickle. Faith is firm. And so when I don't feel like that, I say, but yet I know that I am because God has shared that with me, and I know that I believe in him. And when Satan comes at you and reminds us of our sins, Jesus comes at and reminds us of his grace. We live by faith with the helmet of salvation. Then we take the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit... Is, is so that we can understand what God's Word says about Satan because Satan wants us to doubt his existence. You see, if you don't believe that he exists, then there's no reason to fear him. We don't underestimate him because then we're liable to fall into his wiles. We don't overestimate him because then we, we might be living in fear, but we recognize that he is the enemy and that he does exist. And we recognize that the scriptures and the Bible and the word of God teaches us that Satan is real and our struggle is against him and against the powers of forces of darkness in high places. The word of God is compared many times to a two-edged sword. The first sword is the law. The law reminds us of our sin. The second sword is the gospel. It reminds us of the remedy for our sin. And therefore, we don't get too arrogant about it because we know that therefore the grace of God go all of us and we are saved by grace. And finally, the seventh and last weapon that we have is that of prayer. Why do we need the, the, the covering of prayer? Because we need the covering of God. And you know what Satan will say to us? God doesn't care about you. You know, I'm sure Tom, at some point in his life, Satan said to him, you know what? God doesn't really care about you or you wouldn't have been born blind. Some of you have lost significant members of your family this last year. And you know what Satan is going to say to you? You know God must not care about you or he wouldn't have let your loved one die. Carol and I have been reading through the Psalms as part of our devotions here recently. And one of the things we discovered when you're reading through the Psalms is David continually had to deal with this issue. He continually had to go before God and say, Hey, God, when are you going to get these guys? These enemies are after me. They're trying to destroy me. I have faith in you. I know that my, you, are, you have me covered. Prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. Because in prayer, God shows us that he has our back. He is with us. Even in the midst of Genesis 1, in the midst of the chaos and the darkness, God was there. In Isaiah 9, when he was prophesying that they were in the midst of spiritual darkness, he said, God's going to be there. In John chapter 3, he reassures us, God is here. He is willing to bring you light from your darkness. He's willing to bring you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And on December the 10th, 2017, I would say to you, God is here. 
So as we conclude this morning, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you in spiritual darkness? Are you floundering in your life, wondering what is your purpose, wondering where is God? Does he exist? Are you in chaos about that? And the answer to that is this. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. I am here to bring light into your darkness. In just a moment, our prayer partners are going forward. If you have anything you want to pray about, if you want to know for sure that you are going to be for God, with God forever in his heaven, these people will be glad to pray with you. But there are others of you that might be in a different kind of darkness today. You're a believer, but there's been some chaos in your life. There's been some darkness. It could have been one of those five things we mentioned. It could have been something totally different. And you're just saying, I need the covering of God on my life. Because I need to know that he loves me, that he, has, that he cares for me, that he's here for me, that he hears me. There are, again, prayer partners that are being willing to come and pray with you because they love you. These aren't people that are here to condemn you. They're here to lift you up and encourage you. So would you stand together as we pray this morning? God, our Father, we are so glad that you brought light into the darkness of the world. Not just into the physical world but into the spiritual world. And you have come that we might have life and life more abundantly. Help us to embrace the light of your goodness. Help us to embrace the light of salvation through Jesus Christ. Help us to embrace the light that says, no matter what darkness that we are in, you are providing the light out of that darkness. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for the weapons that you have given us. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.